This episode is brought to you by Salt and Strings Butchery in Southern Illinois. Order your custom beef today by visiting saltandstrings.com or use the link in the show notes. This episode is also brought to you by Barbell Logic, the premier online coaching service for barbell strength training. Get your first month free by signing up at barbelllogic.com slash hardmen or use the link in the show notes. How can a man finish his life well? We've all seen or heard the stories of famous pastors and celebrities and politicians who make a total mess of their lives at the very end and they ruin and undermine everything they were trying to build. Well, in this episode, I'm going to be talking with Jim Ramos from Men in the Arena about how exactly men can finish strong in their lives. We're going to be talking about retirement. We're going to be talking about investing in future generations and including and especially your own children. How do you do this in such a way that leaves a lasting legacy? It's an important question for men, and I think Jim is just the guy to talk about this with. By the way, if you don't know Jim, Jim has an incredible social media following with men in the arena. He leads something like 200,000 men across TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. We'll include links in the show notes so that you can check out some of his material. And I really had a good time talking with Jim. We're going to talk hunting. We're going to talk other manly things. And so I'm very excited about this conversation. Sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the conversation again with Jim Ramos from Men in the Arena. Well, welcome to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn, joined today by Jim Ramos. Jim, thanks for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Man, I'm excited to be on the Hard Man Podcast. <laughs> That's right. I love to hear that. Jim, I was telling you before the show, I have been binge watching TikTok because you are somewhat of a TikTok star. Who would have thought with Man in the Arena? But, but I just got to hear, why is it so uh, impactful for guys to watch you on TikTok? What, what kind of information are you sharing? Well, you need to know TikTok 60% women. So we've got a lot of these women sharing, 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 <laughs> yes. sharing. And I think a lot of it is, man, guys are confused. Yeah. We're living in a, a society that uh, men are coming up without fathers in the home, or they've got absentee dads who are living in the house. And, and we live in a culture, quite frankly, that is saying uh, that if you're a man, you're somehow toxic. And I had a uh, conversation with two women on a plane, and they said, you talk to men, or are you talking about toxic masculinity? And I said, you know what? Um, honestly, you're an English teacher to high school, so you should know better. That is not that is an oxymoron. Yeah. Because if you look at the word masculinity in the dictionary, it is everything but toxic. The people who are toxic are males. Mm. And so we're we're speaking to men about, hey, here's what a man is and does. And we're telling males, if you're a male, you need to step up to the plate. And guys are hungry for this. And women are st- starving to have their men become the man that they thought they married. Oh, it's huge. You know, that's one of the biggest things I've noticed is like with the hard men podcast, people are like, Oh, I bet all your followers are men. I said, actually you'd be very surprised. A lot of women as well. Yeah. Uh, yep. A lot of young ladies saying, yeah, these are the things and the qualities and men that we want. I'm curious though, Jim, like when you look back at when you guys started, right? Somewhere around 2011, 2012, is that right? Yep. Yep. So you look at that time frame. What was it originally that sparked this? Okay, we need this. This is a need in in the American culture, man in the arena. Why why that theme and and what were you seeing? Yeah, you know, I'd been a football coach and youth pastor for about 23 years at the time. Mm. And I was really struggling, feeling like 
I wasn't connected anymore. I just felt like there was a change. And I remember sitting in a coffee shop uh, in this like old little cowboy town. And I'm looking at this bear mounted on the wall and some salmon and some big giant elk and some mule deer. And I'm sitting at this leather chair reflecting on my life. And I realized the thing that makes me angrier than anything in the world is men who are not available. Mm. And then I started asking myself, you know, God, what did you make here? When you made Ramos, what did you make? Yeah, I'm a big guy. I mean, I've just I'm a strong guy. At 57 years old, I walk in the room and the guys at the gym go, "What's up?" You know. And so I, <laughs> yeah. I realized I have a voice that men respect. I have a stature that men respect. And I realized sitting in that coffee shop for the first time in my life, I was nearly 50 years old. That that God had made me to reach men and had pr- primed me for thir- 25 years in ministry for this one moment yeah. to go for it. And so we said yes. And so that's really what God, I call it my Popeye moment. It's when I realized, man, that's all I can stand. I cannot stand it anymore. Yeah, such a huge need. I I want to ask you about coaching as well. Obviously, that's in your background. Um, You look at the culture today, and I was thinking that this week, I've got an almost 16-year-old son, and then two more 18 months after that. So three boys total. But I'm looking at the world. And even when I was in high school, I'm thinking about what are young men facing, right? And when Mm -hmm. I was in high school... You know, sex ed was still male and female for the most part. Uh, And I'm looking at my kids in the world they're facing. And I'm seeing Drew Barrymore kneel on stage to a guy dressed as a girl. And this is supposed to be diversity, equality, and inclusion happening before our eyes. So you think about these young men, especially. I just, paint me a picture. What are they facing? And why is it so important that fathers see that and say, "We, we have to do something about that? Well, my high school alma mater right there has kitty litter boxes in their boys' bathrooms now No, for people who identify as pets. Got to love California education. And then in Oregon, the governor declared that every boy's bathroom has tampons. No. So so this is what our kids are being raised in, this kind of culture. Yeah. And so what I would tell dads is, listen, it doesn't – I don't – if you're going to homeschool, private school, public school, that's not my call. That's yours. My kids are all public schooled, but my kids went to school knowing that they were not the teacher they were not going to be taught by a teacher. Their parents were their teachers and their parents were their pastors. And so so my kids went equipped. And so th- we're living in a day and age like we've never lived before, where if a dad is not the primary, dad and mom are not the primary teachers in their household and primary pastors in their household, those kids are going to go to school and get beat up. And so part of what I always taught my kids is you will be surrounded at your school by people that don't believe the way you believe. And guess what? You're supposed to be surrounded. We are not going to inoculate you. We are not going to protect you. We are going to equip you to be men who can handle it. And so we just need dads and we need moms who are fully engaged in the lives of their kids. And you know, it's really funny when the teachers know those kid, those parents are there, they get their agendas and they, they put them to the side or they don't push them as hard because there's an agenda being pushed and uh, it is it is contrary to biblical Christianity. Yeah, I think that's huge. Uh, I want to ask you about men in the arena now. As you think about your ministry, uh, what are kind of the main things you guys are trying to accomplish uh, where maybe 20 years from now you look back and you say, we'll have been successful if we've done these things uh, and how we've shaped men? What what would those things be? Well, you know, last year our videos hit 8 million people in America. Wow. And I've been praying what I call my duck dynasty prayer for 10 years. I learned how to call ducks in 1995 by a guy who was biting the brains on ducks to kill him, Phil Robertson. <laughs> and today those guys are a household name for Jesus. So, yeah. so I really, this may sound like a big, hairy, audacious, outer reach thing, but I want to see a cultural shift among men. 
Hmm. I want to see masculinity become vogue. I, right now, it's it's not. I want to see masculinity be something that is an expectation. Uh, I, I don't care about all the other weird stuff out there. I care about men. And I just want to see a cultural shift with men. And that's why I love collaborating with other like-minded du- dudes like you. I feel like the more we can collaborate, uh, the bigger our message. And so I, I want... Do- world domination, man. I mean, honestly, <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm just being really honest. I'm not satisfied yes. with my little regional part in Oregon. We are, we've had men download our podcast in 158 state countries in all states. We want, we want all of it. Yeah, that's really awesome. I, I've been encouraged to see that too. It seems like, I don't know if there's an uptick, but there's certainly uh, a lot of guys out there who are fighting that good fight. Yep. I think doing a lot of really great work. Yep. Um, now I want to ask you about the individual guy. Say there's a guy in our culture. He says, okay, maybe I like some of this stuff, uh, but I don't know where to start uh, with fatherhood, with manhood. If you were to give him like three pillars and say like, okay, here's three things you need to do uh, to be a godly good man in this culture. Where does a guy like that start? Well, I'm not going to toot my own horn, but there's a book I wrote right there. And I won't tell you the name of it because I don't want to toot my own (laughs) horn here. But but in that book, I I list five things that I think are the five aspects or essential things that a man possesses that separates him from a male. And so I would tell the guy there are five things. And these things cross religion. So it doesn't matter if you're a Christian guy or if you're an atheist. It doesn't matter if you're, you were raised a thousand years ago or you're going to be raised a thousand years from now. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, white or black, yellow or brown. It doesn't matter. These are what I believe are five things across the board. And the first one is protecting integrity. Mm. Man, you if you do not, that's the trailhead of manhood is, the, is protecting integrity. And then the climb, if you're climbing a mountain, that climb is fighting, fighting, pushing against apathy. It's, 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 it's feeling the world around you. It's, it's, it's resisting those voices telling you that you shouldn't do what you should do, that you shouldn't be a man or, you, or man, man, manhood is toxic. It's, it's, it's pushing against that stuff. That's what makes us strong in, in weightlifting is resistance. The apex of manhood is pursuing God passionately. I believe that a man can never be fully uh, uh, alive and a man can never fully embrace his full potential without radically pursuing the God who created him, loves him, and has a purpose for him. And I don't care what you believe. It's just basic logic. If you believe there is a God up there, you can never become your best version without radically devoting your life to the God who made you. That's my Jim Ramos basic man theology right there. <laughs> and then the backside of the mountain, the fourth thing is leading courageously. You've got to do something, anything, just lead your family, do something. And then the final point is finishing strong, is that we have got to live lives that that show our children what it means to finish. They don't need to see you retiring you know, or moving on. They don't need to see a guy moving from town to town. They need to see you engaged in your culture and making a difference and sinking roots deep and doing that every day and compounded over time, finishing strong daily equals a strong life. So those are the five things I think are are massively important to a man. Uh, they're his starting point. They're really his, you consider them like the, if you're shooting 3D archery, they're the rings on the target, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And uh, I am going to toot your horn because I was uh, I was reading this. I found it very helpful. So the book, if people pick it up on Amazon, we'll provide links in the show notes. Strong Men, Dangerous Times by yours truly. Uh, A fantastic read. So definitely encourage people to check that out. I want to ask you, we're going to talk about finishing strong because that's the 
that's the, uh, the, the last point you mentioned. But first, I have to know, how many push-ups did you actually do in a year? Well, I, I stopped. It's funny. So my birthday's December 14th, and I was doing 250 a day, five days a week on average. Okay. I ended up on December 14th, I hit 65,000. And if I'm honest, I didn't do another push-up for a month. <laughs> I had blown out my shoulder in the process, oh, no. and I had to get an injection to uh, work through it. And my wife was saying, quit, quit, quit. You're injured. I'm like, oh, dude, I don't quit. I, I hate quitters. It's funny. We had 400 men sign up for this challenge and 41 finished, including a 12-year-old autistic boy whose no. dad tapped out on day one. Really? <laughs> yeah, this kid did it all year long. We had another guy who was paralyzed. He finished. We had another guy that had to have soldier, shoulder surgery. He finished. We had another guy that got in a motorcycle wreck, and he was told he would never do a push-up ever again. And it was just really cool that some of our greatest finishers had to overcome the most adversity. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah, I, I love that, too, because it's a, it's a good picture for men. Like, we need physical challenges like that. Yeah. Um, I've noticed that with my teenage boys, especially. They're like, they want to wrestle. They want to throw their bodies around. They want to learn how to control their bodies as well. Yep. Um, but talk about that just a little bit for character development in men. When you're thinking about... Yeah, whether it's the young guy who's playing football or older guys, why is that so important to push yourself physically and mentally at the same time? Well, because there's always more in the tank, I have found. There's more that is there. And I want to push myself beyond what I think I can do because I don't ever want to end my life with potential. Mm. I want to drain every ounce of potential I have in my life. I want to suck every second out of the day. Does this make sense? You know, yeah. and, and every second of the day is for a different purpose. One may be for resting. One may be for loving my wife. One may be for loving my children. One may be, for, you know, work. It just, it, it changes, but I want to maximize and steward the life that God has given me to the best of my ability. Mm. Yeah. I think that's huge. Uh, we're talking man in the arena, of course, Teddy Roosevelt. Yep. I remember what his father said to him, like, you have to embrace this strenuous life. You want to push your mind further. You got to push your body. So yep. I think that's so helpful for men. Um, uh, another question, Jim, that comes to mind is uh, you look back at your life and the people that inspired you. I'm sure there were men there as well. Uh, where were you? Where are you drawing your inspiration? Whether it's people in your actual life, whether it's books you've read, what inspires you? Well, I last year I read 50 books. The year before I read 60. This year I'm on path to read 50 probably again. Nice. I, I love to immerse myself in books because I have found that that guys that are uh, either ahead of me in an area, like I just finished reading Cameron Haynes' book, Endure. I'm a big Cameron Haynes fan. He's not a Christian guy, but I mean, you talk about a stud. And I just finished reading Goggins' book, which I didn't necessarily love, but here's another stud, you know? So yeah. even though I don't agree with certain guys and what they believe, I like to read their books because guys that do great things have something to offer. And so I want to immerse myself in this stuff. Do I have one guy that deeply impacted my life? No. Do I have a guy who's consistently mentoring me? No. I just immerse myself uh, in expertise. And my podcast is all about scratching my own itch. I like to have great guys on like you and just say, hey, man, tell me what you're doing better than me. And I want to copy you. You know, the yeah. art of originality is not revealing your sources. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's right. Well, or you just read so many things that people say, where'd you get that from? And you're like, I, I genuinely don't remember. I know it wasn't me. 
Yeah. But uh, unknown I, I, source. Uh, unknown sources. Yes. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the old pastor's trick, too. By yeah. The way. And then they say, you know, I've been thinking after they they, they don't quote the original source and they go, oh, that somebody said. Then you go, you know, I've been thinking. <laughs> I've been thinking. Yes. Yes. That's right. That's perfect. Uh, I, I want to transition now into this concept of finishing strong. Totally. As you think about this and you think about guys in life, you know, one of the things that uh, early in my life, I, I even saw this in school. It was like, look, you, you want to go to college, you want to get a job. And the whole point is so that you can get to 60, 62 and you can cash it in and you can coast. And what I realized when I started getting older, I saw guys who did that and I was like, well, maybe that's not the way to go. Maybe that's not the way it is supposed to work out for guys. My father, in fact, would always tell me, he'd say, you know, look, on the day of my funeral, I'm working till noon. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm not retiring. I'm going to keep working. Uh, I, so tell me what do you mean by finishing strong? Why is this important? Yeah, so, uh, so I will tell you this. I'm going to confess something to you. So I have these five things listed in the book. This fifth thing is a chip on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. My 13th birthday, my parents gave me the, it's not your guys' fault that we're getting a divorce speech. Mm. Uh, in 2012, on December 30, uh, 21st, my mom called me to tell me that my stepfather had taken the, two, uh, the Remington 270 Model 700 gun that we bought him for Christmas 30 years before, put it under his chin and decapitated himself. No and, you way. know, there are so many guys out there. Story, we just had a local pastor resign for um, uh, immoral behavior. You know, over and over and over again, we see men who finish wrong. And when those guys finish wrong, they leave question marks in the air hanging. Big time. Where I believe that God has called men to finish strong. If you look on the cross, you know, I, I all my Bibles have an exclamation mark on John 19.30. And if they didn't in the translation I bought, I put one in there in a Sharpie pen where he screams from the cross, it is finished. Mm. So if Jesus modeled a strong finish for us, uh, then we should emulate that and try to finish strong. And we live in a world where... Uh, people don't do that. Uh, I have guys that are younger than me retiring, guys that work for the government that have a, a pension so they can they can retire at a young age and then kind of cruise. But what I found is those same guys have no purpose and they really struggle in life because God has a purpose. And even if we retire from a job, this is important. I'm not ever going to tell a man not to retire from his job. Mm-hmm. But what I am going to tell him is he's never to retire and live selfishly. He's to retire and live out his God-given purpose before this world and allow God to put him on display until the day he dies. Because if there's a pulse in my veins, there's a purpose in my heart. Oh man, that's so huge. And I think you see this a lot of times too. Um, I've known a lot of people, it's like they retire and very shortly after retirement, you know, they think it's going to be an RV and cruising the country. Um, A lot of those guys end up dying. Yeah. Um, or dying of boredom, you know, one of the two. I can't remember if it was Nietzsche, but he said there's a a tragedy and a death that men die, and it's the death they die before the physical death. It's that like giving up on life, right? That we've all kind of seen yes. in guys. Yes. Um, which can be so catastrophic. One of the things I always think of, Jim, is one of the reasons we should finish strong is you think about your kids. And you know, we've all been there. You're you're the young guy in a church or you know, a community and you're looking at the older guy and there is moral failing. Well, it seems like if we have those issues, it's going to impact the future generations with our kids. So I guess from their perspective, just, just talk to me about why it's so important is we're talking about legacy that we finish strong for our kids and grandchildren. 
Well, I'm doing a series right now with my men. I've, I've got a service for men that we meet on Wednesday nights, and it's out of Titus 2.2, and where Paul lists six expectations of an older man, mm. and I'm calling it the OG Christian. Yes. And, it, and it, here's, here's the deal. We live in a generation that is growing up with m- many, many, many of these young men are fatherless. Mm. Who are they going to look to? They have to look for older men who are setting a great example to follow. And so we have a tremendous responsibility as older guys. You know, I'm 57 years old now. I just got done having lunch with two entrepreneur brothers. They're 36 and 38. And I'm teaching them through my life's story. But they have, it's cool that they have a guy that they can talk to, right? Now, I am, I am going to be a qualified spokesman in their life as long as I live my life the way I'm called to live my life. If I mm-hmm. drop out of the game, if I climb up into the anonymous bleachers, if I have a moral failure, I've just lost all credibility. So there's a tremendous pressure for us older guys to have the credibility and respect so the younger guys can model their life after it. So it and it and it is generational because if I don't do that with my children, I have three sons. My oldest is 29 today. So if I don't do that with my sons, it ends right there. Yeah. And yeah, we they- create a whole generation of depravity. As a global study from 2021 pointed out, people who lift weights just 30 to 60 minutes per week increase their lifespan by up to 20%. You heard that right, 20%. Other studies have shown that strength is one of the factors tied most directly to increasing your longevity. Interestingly enough, this holds true at any age. In other words, whether you're 18 or 87, you greatly increase your chance of living longer simply by doing some form of strength training. Speaking of which, I've been lifting weights through Barbell Logic online coaching for about nine weeks now. Working with my trainer, Matt Reynolds, three workouts per week, and I've increased my deadlift and squat by over 100 pounds. And that's just nine weeks. My bench press has increased by almost 50 pounds. I've never had weightlifting coaching, but with custom-tailored workouts and constant feedback from Matt after my workouts, I've been able to improve form, increase weight, and grow much stronger in a very short period of time. My deadlift is now up over 285 pounds, my squat is over 275 pounds, and my bench press is over 220 pounds. Are you ready to improve your strength, get in better shape, and increase the number of productive years, God willing, that you have on earth? Well, sign up today for Barbell Logic's online coaching, and your first month is always free. They'll pair you with the right coach to meet your training needs, so visit barbelllogic.com hardmen to get paired with a coach today and start your weightlifting program. You can also check the link in the show notes. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. That was one of the things we noticed. Uh, I was a pastoring in the Southern Baptist convention, but in the South particularly, it was like, well, if dad didn't go to church and dad didn't care, that was pretty much what was going to happen with the kids. You've seen yep. studies bear this out. So obviously one of the things we were trying to do is say like, dads, you got to be engaged. You got to, you know, you have to love Jesus mm-hmm. and your kids, you can't fake that, right? They have to actually see you uh, loving Jesus, loving your wife, loving the church, that sort of thing. I, I do want to ask you too. So your parents get divorced and then your stepfather commits suicide. Mm-hmm. How did that, at the time, like, how did that impact you? And how did you figure out how to put things back together? I mean, obviously from where you are now to back then, there's a, a huge amount of miles in there. Yeah. But how did you respond to that? Well, I responded to my parents' divorce by saying, I will never be that guy. Mm. I'm never going to allow my kids to go through that. It was a very, very painful experience for me. 
Uh, I'm never going to allow infidelity to come and ruin a marriage. And I and my mar- when we got married, we had a rough first two years. Nothing weird happened. We just didn't get along. I mean, marriage is a different animal. Oh, yeah. And so for two years, I struggled in marriage. And then I finally began to figure out a few things. Personally, I started to change. And then my wife came right along because that's how it works. And so we just celebrated our 30th anniversary. And man, oh, I'm, awesome. in lo- I'm, man I'm in love with that woman. Man, it hurts, you know? And so uh, so that's that's what I learned from that. As far as the suicide goes, here's what I learned from that. I am never going to leave this world with a question mark, an ellipsis, a comma. I am going to go out like my Savior with a war cry. Mm. I want, I'm going to scratch and claw my way. I'm going to make a difference as long as God puts a, a voice in my breath. I'm going to use it. Uh, court, you know, John Eldridge in his book, Wild at Heart, said, let the world feel the full weight of who you are mm. and let them deal with it. And I'm going to let the world deal with me until the day I die. And I'm just committed to that. I, I want to go out with a war cry and not a whimper or a whine. And that's so great. I, I, I think, too, as you talk about marriage, that, that's such an important component of this finishing strong, yeah, right? Is for sure. You know, you start out, you have a, a, a marriage. It can be great in the beginning. How do you... How do you maintain that? How do you make sure that you finish strong in marriage? <laughs> oh, my wife and I tell this story all the time, man. So I, I tell people I, I married an angel and I woke up with Satan. And she tells people she married a dream guy and woke up in a nightmare. And I'm going to tell you what, if you were to talk to Shanna, we will tell you the same thing, that we have made it 30 years and continue mm. to thrive because of stubbornness and Jesus in that order. <laughs> and so, and so, I think there's there's got to be a, a a resolute spirit in a marriage that says no matter what happens, we are hanging in there. In fact, I won't even perform a marriage if divorce is on the table for couples. Mm, it yeah. just can't even be on the table. If it's on the table, it's like the Navy SEALs, right? If you think you're going to ring that bell and you walk up there, and the the they, the instructor talks you out of it, one hundred percent of the time, if you read these Navy SEALs books, they go back and ring the bell eventually because what happened was. They let it into their brain that that was an option, and it just can't ever be an option. Mm. So that's that's for us. Uh, and there's tons of tools along the way, but it starts with a foundation of this is forever. Yeah, it was interesting. I saw. I think it was on Twitter, but somebody said when you say in marriage till death do us part, you're saying you would have to kill me before I would leave this woman, or kill the woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I looked at Shanna going, man, I'll tell you what, if I take you out, that's not really a divorce. <laughs> but I mean, you know, but this is what we're talking about, though. Say, hey, listen, I am I am here. Yeah, I am here and I'm going to be here whether you get cancer, whether you, you know, you get some kind of other illness, whether you get fat and ugly. I mean, whatever it is, I'm here. I'm yeah. committed. And once you're committed, then you have two ways out. And I remember sitting there pounding my wife's Jetta. And I had a truck, but she made me sell it because we couldn't afford two cars. And so I sold my truck at an early age. I'm pounding on her Jetta going, I don't know what to do. I hate this woman. I'm going to have a crappy life. And I sat there in that moment and I thought, you know what? Or I'm going to turn this around. Yeah. And I decided, you know what? I don't want to have a crappy life. I, I married this woman. I fell in love with this woman. And I'm not going to divorce this woman, so I'm going to outlast her, and I'm going to outlove her, and I'm going to outserve her. I'm going to win her back, and I did. It took about a month, and 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 a Jetta, apparently. And it, and, and <laughs> you suck for saying that. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. And I got to drive in a Jetta, which I think is a man law violation. Was it at least but, a diesel Jetta? 
No, it wasn't even no. a diesel. It was a cool car, but I mean, when you're driving a 71 Chevy Stepside, oh. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. And you reduce to a German Volkswagen, unless, you know, whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's great. And those are, it, it's funny because those are the kind of stories that, uh, you know, it seems like every marriage is going to be full of challenges, uh, full of a lot of stories that we can laugh at later. Uh, but that's one thing you know, I, I try to think about with younger people is it's not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I think that has been helpful, I've noticed like on your TikTok, right? You have uh, a lot of these just very practical, what are they, they're, they're like 30 seconds or something like that? They're 30 seconds, uh, little, we call them reels because we put them on Instagram and TikTok. Yeah. They're just 30 second little teaching points. I start with a big hook and I just explain it and I do it as fast as I can. Yeah. It, it seems like what's so helpful about it is I think our generation, especially the young people, are starved for just the proverbial Solomonic wisdom of like, yes. how do I do life? Uh, we were talking about this uh, with the pastors here at our church, and we noticed that one of the most popular YouTube channels is Dad, How Do I? Oh. And it, it's interesting because it's just like, how do I tie a tie? How do I uh, change the oil in my car? How do I start a lawnmower? How do I sharpen the blades on the lawnmower? And it really got us thinking like, wow, there's a lot of just practical stuff that people don't know. Uh, one of the things I noticed in, in yours was things like, um, you know, sex and marriage. How do you learn to get better at that? And, and you got this culture that's obsessed with pornography and everybody's exposed to this seemingly. Um, so just to have a few tips of, hey, men, you know, here's some ways to get better at that. Ask your wife, you know, what brings pleasure, those sorts of things. Anyway, I just want to ask you why you think so much of that wisdom is resonating with people. Man, I just think that nobody else is telling them the truth. Mm. And here's what I know. You know, we're living in a day and age with our, you know, all this civil unrest and all this weird, I'll just call it weird stuff going around. And uh, you know what? Everybody's walking on eggshells. They're afraid to say this. They're afraid to say they're afraid they'll hurt this person. They're afraid to call this person a man. Uh, and, and here's where I'm at. I believe in the Bible. I believe in truth. I'm going to speak the truth as found in the word of God to the best of my ability. And I hope I get persecuted for it. Second mm. Timothy 3.12 says, if I'm godly, I will be. So I want to speak the truth boldly, and I'm willing to be hammered for it. And here's what I've learned is that the world is longing for that. Every time I post, we had a video that had 6 million people watched it. And of those 6 million, 10% were super angry and sharing it with their friends. Going, Look at this idiot. Wow. And then they would share it, and they would share it, and they would share it. You know, uh, a guy that's a popular guy on uh, YouTube and podcast is Joe Rogan. Oh, and yeah. He talked about how he got shut down over here, and everybody canceled him, and he doubled his following. And so when the, oh, yeah. when the world has a, a man or a woman who boldly stands for what they believe, people are going to reject that person. People are going to disagree, and that's okay. But the world is longing for men and women who speak up boldly about the truth, and the church uh, needs that more than ever in history. We need to be willing to get crucified for it. Oh, man, yeah, such a good word. What a what was the video that had six million? Do you remember? Yeah, it was. Uh, oh man, okay, you're kill- Oh, it was. How do you frame your wife? It was framing your wife. Well, it was my greatest failure in marriage. Is you know because you take a picture, you put it in a frame, right? <laughs> and so I, when my kids were little, I would frame mom as, oh, she's just being crazy, or oh, here comes mom, clean up the house, she's gonna go off. And those were, you know, those, you know, not the crazy part, but her going off. Those are true statements. But I ended up framing my wife in front of my kids in a way that was not, mm. 
giving them an accurate picture, accurate picture of this beautiful warrior who loves Jesus that is their mother. And she's a phenomenal woman and a phenomenal mother. And I've had to go back and apologize to my kids. I'm ashamed of it. But when men, if men, you know, are framing their wife as, oh, ball and chain, well, I better run it by the old hag. Oh, she's a nag. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not helping your marriage. You're not helping your wife. No. Uh, she needs you to frame her well. And she needs you to frame her well uh, in front of her. And I, you know, my wife is my screen. She's my home screen. She's my lock screen. You know, I mean, I, I literally have her framed in here. And so I think that 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 video is so viral because women are long. They long to have their husbands put them in the light that they want to. You know, women spend hours in front of a mirror trying to get that look right. And so mm. we as husbands need to we need to do that for them every time we talk about them. So that video, what people went insane over that video, of course, 10 percent of the people said, oh, you're objectifying women, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what are you talking about? So yes. anyway. Everything is offensive to someone. That That's the one thing I've learned on uh, social media. It yep. could be the most innocuous thing in the world. But I, I do think it's a good point, though. Uh, when we think about finishing strong, and if I was going to say to a young man, how do you finish strong? I, I think a big, huge part of that would be the courage, uh, what you're talking about, because you're going to have opposition. And I think especially as Christian men, mm -hmm. uh, we're, we, we need to be telling our young people and the other man standing in the line next to us, Jesus said, if you follow me, they will hate you and they will kill you. Yep. So why are you expecting a crowd? Why are you expecting people to praise you at every turn uh, or to get a participation trophy or whatever it is? You should actually expect to be hated. Um, so it seems like, correct me if I'm wrong, it just seems like one of the things as you have these people looking to you is they need to see courage. Mm -hmm. Do you agree well, with that? Well, we live in a world that is addicted to a thumb. Hmm. Just touch the thumb. Just click the heart. Just follow me. Like me. We live in a world that it's all about that. And what people don't, what people aren't telling you is all those people that have massive followings, have massive influence, mm. massive amounts of people hate them, crucify them, speak ill against them, but they're speaking out boldly nonetheless. So, uh, you know, if a man stands, a man better stand for something or he'll stand for nothing. And I think we live in a world where everybody has an opinion. But we want, to, we want to see God raise up men of conviction. You see, mm. I hold an opinion, but a conviction holds me. And mm. so a man of conviction doesn't care what people think because that's the hill he's going to die on. And we just need men of conviction in this world. We need more of those. People like the Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Yeah. Hey, King, we're not going to deny you because our God can do this. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down. Mm. Yeah, that's such a great point. Um, one of the other questions I want to ask you about is career-wise. Um, yes. As you start thinking about like how do, how do you start, continue, and finish well with career, uh, you know, retiring and RVing around the country, maybe that's not it. Uh, but what is it? What does it look like if a guy finishes well? How, how do you begin to start that conversation? Well, I actually just uh, preached a sermon on this. You know, uh, when God is calling Moses, so Moses is 80 years old. He spent 40 years as a, a prince of Egypt. Mm. He spent 40 years in the desert. God comes in a burning bush. And there we see this series of excuses, excuses, excuses. In uh, Exodus 4, he says, I can't, I stutter. In Exodus 6, 12, I stutter. In Exodus 6, 30, I stutter. But in Acts chapter 7, it says, Moses was eloquent in speech. Mm. So in other words, what Moses was remembered for was not what Moses thought about himself. 
And what God did, he prepared Moses for a season. But now here's the kicker. Are you ready for this? The kicker is we live in a world that seeks vocation for what we can get and what we can make, where God says, no, seek a vocation based on who you are, not how much money you make. And so for a man who wants to finish strong, I would say this, a young guy, right? In his 20s, he's like, what do I do, Ramos? I would say, go after a career that fits your spiritual shape, spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality experiences. You know, find a career that fits who you are instead of trying to mold yourself into a job based on what you make for a living. I think, I know that the millennials do this better than my generation. They are not surrendering their soul for their career. And I think that they can teach my generation something. Don't sell your soul for a career. Become your best version throughout your career doing what you love. I just think that's critical. Uh, and, and if not, you know, what happens when you start raising a family, now you've got financial obligations and you're kind of locked in uh, to a career that maybe you hate. So early on, figure out who you are and then build your life around that. Yeah, I think that's that's great. So I'm curious for you, like, as, as you get into those, you know, approaching like what would be retirement years, um, and you think about your kids, you think about your marriage, you think about your your ministry stuff. How do you personally assess that and say like this will be success? This will be finishing strong for me. What am I doing in these in these years? My definition of finishing strong is to have those, and it's the same as my definition of success. Mm-hmm. It's to have those people in my life who know me the best respect mm-hmm. me the most. And so, if I operate under that assumption. You know, my son ran his first half marathon this weekend. We went to that. We went to it because, yeah, he's 29 today. But you know what? I want to encourage him because he's got a marathon coming in six months. Yeah, that's so great. I want, I'm continuing to parent my kids. And one of the things I think where guys break down, and maybe I'm oversimplifying this. I've thought this. How does a guy finish strong, like really finish strong in a world of quitter, quitters, in a world of guys who retire, in a world of guys who retire and coast? How You know, I say retire, I'm saying quitting, but calling it retiring. Yeah. Air quotes, retiring. <laughs> yes. And here's why I've come up to this conclusion. Uh, men who are living in this stress bubble, who have a wife, children in the home, I think that man needs to finish every day strong. So when he gets home from work, his day is not over. His day, the time that matters is really just beginning because the people who will mourn you at your death are not the people you work with from nine to five. They're the ones you raise from five to nine. And Mm. so you've got to focus on that window. So when you get home after work, bro, talking to these guys, you need to get your game face on because you're going to be remembered for what happens in the window of five to nine at night, Monday Mm. through Friday. So what I tell guys is finish Monday strong, then finish Tuesday strong, finish every day of the week strong, compounded over time. That is a strong life finish. And so If we can get that mindset that in that window in the evening that we're focusing on a strong finish, that will pay dividends down the road. Yeah, that's really huge. It's a good way to think of it too, especially I think I'm looking back at my 20s uh, and early 30s as well. But when the kids are really little, um, really thinking about, well, do I spend that extra hour and a half at work or do I go home and really focus on, okay, those were the years where it's like, you better flip the cap. Yep. And you're dad now and you're yep. all in and you're wrestling with them on the floor and you're paying attention to people and you put that smartphone away 
And I, I look back on that and I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm glad I had other men in my life uh, to say that then. But I could see how if you miss that, um, it's not time you get back. Nope. Um, so very, very important, I think, as well. Uh, the other thing that comes to mind for, for me in terms of, you know, a man's legacy, um, where he invests would, of course, be the church. Mm-hmm. As you are thinking, you know, young guys, you know, it, how do you talk to them about the importance of, you know, investing in the church and, and in what way should they do that? Yeah, I had a guy just last week, a young guy, 23-year-old guy, a teacher, a high school, brand new high school teacher. And he was saying, oh, the church is full of hypocrites, hypocrites, hypocrites. And he said, I'm a hypocrite. And I said, okay, let me tell you something. You're absolutely right. I'm a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. The church is filled with hypocrites. It's filled with sinners saved by grace. But the immature man sees that and says, I won't be a part of that. I'm going to go somewhere else. Mm. Maturity comes when you acknowledge the hypocrisy of sinful people who are saved by grace, and it does not hinder your purpose in life, Mm. right? So God, for all of her failures, is using the church. It is still, I believe, his most important weapon. I am very involved in my church. I preached there last weekend. I I preached a sermon there last weekend. And so I think that the church is very important. And I know that like the millennials and the Gen Zers don't like to define church as a Sunday morning building that's a nonprofit organization. So I would say this to these guys listening. Yeah. You need to have a community of Christians to fellowship with. Jesus said it in John 13. This is how they, the world, will know you're not my disciples if you love one another. In in Hebrews, we read it in Hebrews 10. Help me out here. 23, 24. Let us not forsake the gathering mm-hmm. together somewhere in the habit of doing. And so what I've noticed is, uh, Eric, what I've noticed is when guys fall away, when people fall away from Christ, the first thing that happens is they fall away from a community of believers that they gather with weekly that I call a church. Mm, big time. <laughs> Have to redefine church for the younger guys. It's a community of believers who I meet with weekly in the name of Jesus to worship fellowship and grow in the word. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's interesting too. One of the things that that I've stressed and talked about on the show, especially for men, um, this goes back to, I I saw a meme years ago that got me thinking about it. And it said, everybody talks about the miracles that Jesus performed, but nobody talks about the miracle that he had 12 friends in his (laughs) thirties, 12 male friends. Yes. Yeah. That's actually... Because you look around and it's like, guys, you know, like it's easy to get involved in your career. And yeah, maybe you see a guy on Sunday, but what do we actually do together during the week? Yeah. Are are we actually on mission together? And what it got me thinking about was men need a gang. Men need a brotherhood. Uh, We read these great stories and and we're like, yeah, we we just, we don't seem to have that in our busy, busy culture. Uh, Everybody's kind of down in the foxhole. And one of the big changes we made was saying, okay, no, we need to find guys um, in the church that we're a part of now, where we are leaning into the same plow, mm-hmm. we actually have a mission. Uh, we share the same passion uh, for building Christendom and the kingdom of Christ. And what I realized was you, you can have male friendships. They're vital. You desperately need the accountability in your life. But here's the thing. It's, it's just hard. Um, and, and I think it's the other thing I would say about it. It's got to be a priority. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, yeah. it's not, you're not just going to like, generally speaking, you're not just going to like fall into a church that happened to be on the corner wherever. And, you know, you go there, you know, of course we're in Utah. So if you went there, it's probably Mormon, um, <laughs> but to, to, to go to a church and to actually find people who are, yeah, going to hold you accountable 
you've got to put a lot of work in that. So I, I just want to hear your take on that. Why is male friendship and having quality men around you, why is that so important? Well, I'll tell you what. So women, their default setting is two relationships. A man's default setting is really to mission. You said yeah. a couple times on mission, mission, yep. you know, lean into the same plow. And so men, men grow in life by doing life side by side another man. Women grow face to face. If you watch women, they're always face to face. If you watch men, they're side to side. Offensive linemen, guys riding a motorcycle, guys waiting for their buddy to hit the next golf stroke, guys shooting trap, guys hunting. They're always side to side, always. Men do life side by side. Mm. Men, so here's an example. So you take a, an ox and you have that ox pull uh, as much weight as it can. That ox, and you can Google this, that ox will pull four tons of weight alone. Wow. But if you yoke two oxen together who are equally yoked, so that would you would think that those two oxen would pull eight tons together. No, they pay, play, they pull 22 tons together. <laughs> the synergy. And that is exactly how men work. I am the strongest <laughs> when Eric and I are out in the hills chasing mule deer. You know, wow. I am the strongest when I'm doing life side by side with a brother. So, so women, we, we, we try to do church like women do church face to face. That's not how men do church. So men do church and grow the most. I mean, I've got some lifelong friendships from a mule deer hunt in Wyoming where we had some massive horse problems because we thought it'd be smart to rent horse horses and none of us knew anything <laughs> about horses, but we still, to this day, it brought us closer to Jesus, oh, yeah. brought us closer together. And we did kill a 32 inch mule deer, another one that scored Whoa. 180. So it was a great hunt, but that's yeah. another story. But what I'm saying is we, as men, we are, we have to have men in our lives to do life side by side with, and it may not even be a Bible study. It may be, Hey bro, let's go hunting. And you have fellowship and share Jesus out there. And th th so this is how we're wired different, but it's vital for a man. If a man doesn't have that, if a man doesn't have that, he will wither and die. Man, that's so huge. And 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 I, I think that picture right of side by side, yeah, uh, is so important. And I think the oxen too. Uh, one of my friends, Dan, we were talking about uh, quartering elk, uh, which <laughs> is just a ton of work. And he said, yeah. you know, the weird thing is, he's like, it's it's you know x amount of work if you're by yourself. But he said, if you have somebody helping you, it doesn't half the workload. It like cuts it into a quarter. I mean, it it literally men are force multipliers. So I think For being sure. able to lighten those guys up in your life is huge. Um, one of the things I want to ask you is about some of these things, uh, hunting, uh, shooting. You look at, you know, working on cars, some of the things that men love to do. It seems like we have to find ways for to engage guys on those fronts. Yeah. Do you agree? And why do you think that is so important for the way men are wired? I think the church needs to find ways to reach men that are different than women. And I think that uh, we think it's somehow unholy to have a golf group listed in the church bulletin or a trap shooting night in the church bulletin or a 3D archery night in the church bulletin. But I would argue that that is probably the most powerful place for men to go to be together and to rub that fellowship. Men just thrive in that realm. Should you study the Bible? Absolutely. I've got five books I've written that are strictly Bible study books. I believe in Bible study. I think that is important. But that's not the only way to reach men. I mean, men need to have this place where they can lock arms with a bro, not literally, that'd be weird, figuratively, <laughs> a side by side. We need to have those venues. Otherwise, our guys will shrivel up and, and wither away.
Yeah, I think that's that's pivotal. Uh, one of the other questions I guess I have is when you think about, you've talked about women, you talk about your wife. As a man, you have to finish well for the sake of your marriage mm-hmm. and your wife. Uh, but she also needs these resources, the church, other friendships. As you start to think about those things and how you lead your wife specifically, how do you lead her through that finish line? Um, what does that look like in your life? And what sort of pieces of wisdom would you give on that? Well, for me, uh, for me, it's been about my individual pursuit of Jesus. Mm-hmm. My wife knows that from five or whenever I woke up at four this morning, I woke up at 530 yesterday. I wake up with no alarm whenever God wakes me up. But she just knows that she does not even talk to me till about seven, seven thirty, because I'm that's my Bible time. But then she'll yeah. come down. She's a flight attendant. So when she's not flying, she'll come down, and sit in a chair across from me. And I have a Bible that I only read with her and we read it together. Now, my kids are out of the house. It is different for us. But I would say the greatest thing I can do for my wife is to model my faith in front of her. And, and, and I, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but man, we need to find a community mm. of believers that we gather with regularly because it tells our wife that being with those believers on Sunday is more important than watching football. It's mm. more important than going golf with the buddies. I mean, you know what I'm saying? There's a time for all that, but there, but that's what it's telling. It's given my, our wives a, a, a clear message. And for us, if you draw a triangle and my wife is here and I'm here and we're both growing closer to Jesus, look what's happening. We're also growing closer together. And so the greatest thing that guy can do is to get his wife on a journey. And I'm in a place now, at uh, Eric, where I'm seeing guys divorcing after 25 and 30 years because mm. they made their marriage all about the children mm. and their children were the center of the universe. And that's the worst thing a father can do. He needs to, and I don't care if it's first, second, third marriage, his wife biblically is more important than the children. Mm. And until his children know that and his wife knows that, he's going to be setting himself up for a failure. And it may take 30 years to accomplish. She is more important than the children. Yeah, I think that's huge. And I mean, it, it's sad. We were talking about finishing. Well, it's sort of like this huge letdown when you see something like 30 years, 25 years happen. Yep. And then in, and it fails uh, or people give up on it or they quit. Um, you, you definitely, it reminds me of the, uh, I can't remember who it was swimming the English channel. And they said this lady like swam and swam and swam. Oh. And finally she gives up. Yep. And as she gives up, the fog clears and she's literally like 30 yards from the beach. Yep. I know the story. And I was thinking that's just stuck with me because I was like, well, how many of us, you just need to finish. You know, like you said, you don't have that thing in your mind where you're going to ring the bell. There is no bell. You write the bell out of your mind. Mm-hmm. I'd rather die. I'd rather die out here in the waves than give up on, you know, finishing the mission that's been set out before Absolute, me. Absolutely. No, I, I couldn't agree more. One of the things I did want to ask you, Jim, because we were talking about hunting. <laughs> I want to see if you've got just a, what stands out in your mind as one of your best hunts in terms well, of story <clears throat> and, you know, just adventure. I'm looking at a buck right now. It's the biggest buck I've ever killed in my life. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, I'm a public land hunter, and I killed this buck uh, two years ago in 90 degree weather uh, on a full moon. Oh man! But the thing about this buck, this buck is called the bro- old. Bro- I named him Old Broken Top. I'm sitting on a. I'm walking this ridge. I, I I'd hunted this place before and I'd killed a buck, but I told the guys who'd hunted it for 30 years we need to get up top. And as these bucks feed out, we need to be up on top. So they went one way. And they did their same old thing, father-son duo. And I went another way. 
and I'm walking, my, and there's no trees in this country. There's one juniper in this rim rock, one. And I knew if I got to this juniper and I kind of made my way around, I might get a buck coming out. So it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. 10.30 in the morning, I, I'm in my spotting scope, and I hear this about 150 yards to my left. I look over, and here's a little buck with a buck behind it who's clearly, uh-huh. you know, the big buck's always in back. So I take my, my seven, Weatherby 7-millimeter Magnum, chambered 154 factory load ammo. I put it up on my spotting scope, and I'm telling myself, you know, because a mule deer from the side, you can't really tell. Uh-huh. I'm like, if I see a 4 by 4 I'm going to kill him because we're hunting in Oregon, right? Oh, yeah. I, it's like if, uh, we just don't see a lot of big bucks in Oregon. It's a horrible state to hunt mule deer. Don't apply here. So <laughs> I see a four-point. I shoot. This buck dropped his head and stood there. And I'm like, I knew I hit him, but I'd never seen a buck do that with his head before. So you know the rule, I you know brown it's brown, you shoot them till they're down. So I chambered another one, shot them in the in the lungs, dropped them better in the doornail. So I'm, I'm I've got in my scope for 20 minutes, just making sure he's down because you don't want to get a high loin shot and they walk away. I've had that uh, attempt before, and so after 20 minutes, I make my way to the buck and I come on uphill side of him, mm-hmm. right? Because if he, I just want to make sure I was in a good position. You just never know. And I came upon him and I said, man, that's the biggest buck I've ever killed. Why are his horns touching? My first shot when I said it was a four-pointer, I never put his put the crosshairs. I shot him in the eye. I blew off 10 inches of his offside main beam. I shattered his skull and his antler on the the on his on his driver's side where I hit him. And I'm sitting there, bro. I'm sitting here alone. It's now it's about 11 o'clock in the morning. It's climbing to 90, 95 degrees. I'm alone. There's nobody around. There's no trees. I've got the biggest buck of my life that I shattered. And I and I and I was so depressed. And I and I had I did, I made a mistake as a hunter I've never made before I'll never make again I had determined I was going to quarter this buck out no matter what I did normally I bone the deer out yeah but I determined I was going to try this new um, EXO backpack and I was going to quarter this buck out so I did I I court I took crappy pictures of a buck trying to keep his horns from touching they're horrible pictures I'll send them to you I got this buck uh, quartered I've got the adrenaline dump happening right. I, I got this buck quartered on one backpack, one load, quartered. Oh, man. I mean, I had the two hands in the shelf. I shoved the front legs, you know, in the in the bag. I had the str- the loins in there. I mean, it was, oh, I had the head, and then I've got the Weatherby, and I've got the spotter. I've got 150 pounds on my body, man. It was brutal. And I start to walk out of there. Well, long story short, it was, it was nearly medical. I thought I was going to die. Uh, long story short, we finally got, I got the buck dropped off on the top of this rim rock, dropped down to a friend who picked me up on the way up to get the buck because I had an onyx, you know, the the quad breaks down. Oh, anyway, no. we had to walk all the way to camp. So, you know, 14 miles later, but here's the oh. deal. Here's the deal. My trophy was a tragedy. This buck was broken and destroyed. And what should have been a triumph for me was a tragedy. So I called my buddy who's a taxidermist. And he took that broken, shattered deer and three months later presented me with, I'm looking at him right now, the coolest trophy you could ever imagine. It's so cool. And I look at that and I go, man, that's what God does with us, man. He takes our broken, shattered lives and he puts them together again. He takes our greatest tragedies Mm. and makes them his trophy. And that's what God does loves to do. So I would just tell guys, man, if you're here today, listen to this podcast and you're a broken dude, man, God, his specialty is making you his trophy and then putting you on display. You know, Romans 8, 28 says, for God works all things out for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So if you're broken right now, hang on, brother, 
God's getting ready to make you into a trophy. So that, my friend, is my great hunting story. <laughs> I hope that is, concludes the podcast well. <laughs> yes, that is a phenomenal way to end a manly podcast. Yeah. Jim, I want to thank you so much for joining me. Of course, we'll have links to all of your places people can check out your uh, content. Definitely encourage them to do that. Uh, we'll have those in the show notes. But, sir, thank you so much for joining me. Man, thank you so much. It's great being on your show, man. Well, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast, and we definitely appreciate our Patreon supporters. We could not do New Christendom Press or produce this content without your help, so we definitely encourage you, if you're not yet, become a Patreon supporter. You can follow the link in the show notes to do that for as little as $5 a month. However, if you join today for $10 a month, you also get a free Hard Men Slunk Eggs coffee mug, because yes, Hard Men Slunk eggs if you're into some egg slunking or hey you know what i'm gonna make an exception if you want to drink coffee out of that cup you can also do that as well again follow the link in the show notes you can sign up on patreon today also want to make you guys aware we do have a conference upcoming the new christendom press conference june 8th through 10th very excited about this conference we've got a number of speakers lined up including Matt Reynolds. Yes, the one, the only Matt Reynolds is going to be there. He's going to be talking to us about how you can get strong. How do you start? There's a lot of guys who said, look, maybe I'm fat. Maybe I'm out of shape. I don't know where to begin with barbell strength training. Matt is just the guy to be helping you out with that. So he's going to be on hand. We're going to have Reformation Coffee with Brandon Lansdowne. We are drinking coffee by the gallon so that we can also sing sea shanties with extreme caffeination. We are going to be pounding red meat. That's right. We've got Quinn Bible from Salt and Strings Butchery. It's going to be there. If you don't yet have it, make sure you get the VIP ticket. And that will get you access to the very coveted and limited ribeye dinner. We're going to be fed by Quinn Bible. And uh, rumor has it. I, I heard this rumor because I was the one who created the idea. So I know the rumor is also true. And that is that there's going to be cigars and libations at this VIP dinner as well. So make sure you get tickets to that as well as to the new Christendom Press Conference. A lot of other great people. And until next time, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men. 